Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. And as the coronavirus has led to an enormous collapse of auction clearance rates and a big and huge withdrawal of properties for sale, I talked to Yellow Brick Road's Mark Burris on how and why he thinks house prices will fall in coming months. Century 21's Charles Tarby, the founder of that group, on what's happening to real estates at the coalface. And then Robert Clarick, of the propertyexpert.com.au website on the good, the bad, and the ugly of house price falls. Let's get on with the show now by interview with Mark Burris. Well, if there's one person who knows a little bit about the property sector, it's Mark Burris from Yellow Brick Road. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, Pete. How are you going, mate? Why don't you explain to people who aren't quite sure how important the property sector is to uh, YBR? Well, the property sector YBR is important to us because a couple of reasons. The first thing is we have a, a mortgage book of like $57 billion worth of mortgages. That is, we've lent out $57 billion. What's really important to us, and as it is to the banks, is that um, property prices don't fall or at least fall too much so that the value of our mortgage portfolio gets compromised. So. We always want to make sure that if anything ever happened, our mortgage portfolio actually represents the proper value of all those properties in the marketplace. Mm. That's really, really important. That's important for us, the banks. The whole financial system relies on property prices being stable. Mm. Do, do you think there's obviously going to be a temporary fall in the value of the properties that you've lent against? Um, I'll, I'll go back, I'll circle back around the, how I've arrived at my answer. The answer is yes, but I'll circle back as to how I arrive at that answer. The value of the property in this country, to me, is based on two, two factors, but one is a constant, that is the amount of deposit I have. That doesn't change. I've got the deposit to buy the property. But the thing that is variable is the amount of money I can borrow. The amount of money I can borrow is dependent upon how we all assess credit as lenders. Um, so the credit curve, in other words, your ability to service the debt. So if today I say to you, Peter, you've got $150,000 deposit, that's constant. I'm prepared to lend you $500,000. Therefore, you can buy property for $650,000. The mentality of Australian buyers is they go along to the auction with their partner on their own. They say, I can afford to spend $650,000. So even if the property reserves $600,000, they'll still say, and there's someone at them, like in other words, bidding against them, they'll go to six fifty because that's where they know they've got to spend. If all of a sudden... I say to you, Peter, look, I'm no longer going to lend you the uh, uh, $500,000. I can only lend you $400,000 because you're in an, in an industry, you're in the retail or you're in some sector mm. that's affected. So I'm only going to lend you four hundred. dollars Now you've only got $550,000. It goes without saying you can only bid the $550,000, which means there's a $100,000 gap between scenario A and scenario B. Therefore, my view is property prices will come down because they are driven not by affordability, they are driven by the amount you can borrow. Yeah. So obviously there are two scenarios that someone like you and me would worry about. The first scenario is uh, could the, the containment period, the, the, the coronavirus containment restriction period be short or long? Now, if it's short, I'm presuming that the price fall will be quite manageable. But if it's longer than we expected, would you be worried that the price falls could be quite substantial? Yes, because 
when it comes to assessing people today, in the old days, we'd say, give us your 2019 tax return. That we'd want to see what you did in a historical sense. What did June 30 last year you earned for income? That's fair enough. But today we're also saying, give us that. Plus, I want to see your BAS statements for the last three months, or I want to see your credit card, your bank statements for the last mm -hmm. three months. So I actually want to see is there a difference between what you say you earned for the 19 year and what your current um, cash flow is in your BAS and or your bank statements today? Mm. Not only that, I want to see what you're spending. And I think people are actually spending quite a bit of money at the moment because they're at home, they're spending online, they're, they're probably not using Uber, but they're using Uber Eats. Yeah. Um, they're, pro they're probably having a bet. They might be buying more clothes online. There's been, and for the longer this COVID period, the shutdown goes, or for the longer the, you know, the people working from home goes, the more my worry is the more we get into the habit and change our behaviour and how we spend, but I'm going to look at that as a lender. I'm going to look at that as a current number. I'm going to look at it in real time. Mm. And that might mean I'm going to lend you less money because I might say, I'm not really interested in what you earn in your 2019 tax return. I'm more interested in what you're earning today and what you're, what you're keeping and what you, as opposed to, yeah, what you're keeping mm. after you spend, which means I'm going to lend you less money, which means you're less likely to go and buy something for the same price that you would have bought it a year ago. Yeah. So I think longer this goes on, the more house prices are going to be affected. And the big issue is, and you and I know this well, if people think, if I already own a house and my house was worth six fifty, but now the bloke down the road just sold the same house for five fifty, the wealth effect or the negative wealth effect worries me. Because I'm going to say, shit, I don't have as much money as I had before. I'm not spending any more money. Hands in my pocket. Mm. And then, then we have the negative wealth effect, which is something the government's really aware of, yeah. this wealth effect. Okay, now I know you're not just sitting in your office listening to your dog chew on the bones. Uh, yeah, you're, he's you're, just <laughs> below me. He's just below me. Yeah, uh, but I, I reckon you are ringing people who've got influence, who've got pretty good judgment. What do you think the government's going to do in relation to reducing the lockdown restrictions and whatever? What kind of time period are, are you expecting? My gut feeling is subject to the medical advice. They keep saying medical advice. That's that I think that's code for saying we don't want to do any we don't want to commit a political suicide. Mm. But my gut feeling is if there if the medical advice is in favor of amending the lockdown rules or the shutdown rules, in other words, maybe by industry or I don't know, by schools or how even geography, it Mark. It could be geography like North of Queensland exactly. might go exactly. first. Yeah. Cam Canberra, for example, is a is a good example. Um my gut feeling is that they're going to, they're going to open up uh, gradually, but they're going to do it in a very purposeful way because my feeling is the government's well aware right now, they're well aware of the economic outcomes. I mean, like, I, I know the government won't say this, but I know that the government's worried that the cure is worse than the, than the disease itself, mm. that that is the economic virus mm. that, could, that ensues. And I, so, I, you know, and they don't want to have, they don't want to build up these massive deficits and or debts that they're going to have to service for the next 20 years, mm. because that's political suicide too. Mark, um, obviously a lot of people in this industry, property sector, are self-employed, um, runners of their own business and whatever, and, and that's an area that you like to get involved in. So what would you, advice would you be giving a business owner right now He's finding this whole, you know, um, challenge something they would never have expected, and they're really managing a very different business. Well, you've got to get your head around digitisation. I, I chaired the federal government's digitisation task force in 2019, and who would have known that right now 
digitization as an Australian phenomenon, which we are one, we are lacking in digitization for businesses relative to our other developed nations. We're very good on mobile phones. Mm. We're not very good on digitization when it comes to business. My feeling right now is we've now been forced into this digitization era, just like you and I are now talking. Normally I'd come into your studio and I'd be sitting right opposite you and we'd be having a mag. Yeah. I've had to force myself to make sure I've got myself a stand, I've got myself a backdrop, I make sure my phone's working properly. I've ordered a new phone because it has better technology. So everybody has to start doing this. I don't care what your business is. I don't care if you're a butcher. I don't care. You've got to start telling people what your product is. You're a butcher, local butcher. Make sure you start to go to Facebook or Instagram or and or whoever, Google, and find out, target who the people are in your area. Build yourself a website. Make sure you get onto the social media and show them what it is that you've got to offer. And then say to them, if you buy from me, I'll deliver to you. I mean, that's the sort of stuff. We need to have innovation, lots more innovation. But it all starts with this environment, our social mediums, our digitization mediums. Start to tell people what your product and or your service is, then tell them how easy it is to get it. You know what, Pete, many, many years ago, I did, when I was in partnership with Kerry Pack, we had a business called Wizard together. And uh, I went and saw this really fancy advertising agency and um, they built this really fancy advertising agency you know, scheme for us. And we put it out on television, cost me a fortune to produce. And it was a bit a bit weird and it was a bit funky, etc. Kerry grabbed me and he said to me, son, scrap that whole advertising campaign. He said, the only things that people are interested in is what is your product? How much is it? And how do you get it? In other words, how do you contact me? Well, if you take that same advice today, mm. what is my product? I've got fantastic mediums to tell everybody what my product is today. One. Two, how much is it? So what's your menu? What's it cost me? Is it a kilo of rump steak? Blah. It's going to be six bucks, twelve bucks, twenty bucks a kilo. Why is it that price? Because it's organic or it's whatever, grass fed. And finally, how do I get it? Email me, ring me, Instagram me, Shopify me, and or I will deliver it. They're pretty three pretty simple questions you've got to ask yourself. That's what I'll be saying to all businesses. I don't care whether you're a plumber, a butcher. I couldn't give a stuff what you are. Yeah, and in many ways, what you're saying is this threat gives you the opportunity to think about innovation. And uh, I, I must admit, I was interviewing Marty Grunstein. I don't know if you've ever met Martin before, but he's a very good customer sales guy. And he said he, his uh, wife went into a fruit shop in Pennington many years ago and uh, he, 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 she, was, she was talking to the, the guy who ran the shop and he said, um, well, you know, um, um, uh, you know, she said, do you do home deliveries? And he said, yes, I do. And uh, she said, well, when do you do it? She said, he said, when you want me to. And because uh, she was used to coals and all that sort of stuff and delivering all hours on night. And, but she did look at him and she said, well, why don't you say that on the front uh, window of your store? Correct. And, and people haven't thought about it. And the guy just said, looked at it sort of dumbfounded. It was so obvious that there was a great service. He wasn't even talking about it. It's because, you know, what, what happens is we get caught up in our day-to-day stuff and the grind, what we're doing, mm. and we make a whole lot of assumptions or presumptions about what our customers think. And really what we've got to do is step outside our shop, go and walk outside your own life and step outside and have a look at what's going on yourself and work out what is it I would want to know if I was a customer of me. That's the bottom line. Mm. All right. I'm going to make you guess now, Mark. What do you think is going to happen to the Aussie economy over the next, uh, you know, until, I guess, the end of 2020? Well, I... I I mean, I'm obviously aware of what the IMF has said. Um, for sure, we're going to have a large unemployment number. Uh, for sure, the government's going to continue to try and help. We're going to have um, big deficits. 
the things that I hope happen is that we don't get re-rated as, as a country. That's the first thing I hope we, we don't get re-rated as a country because that, that affects our cost of borrowing, one. Um, I, two, I don't necessarily agree with the, uh, the bounce, um, the V-shaped curve that the IMF is talking about, like a big increase in 2021. I think what's going to determine our, our recovery will be the unemployment number. So because if people are employed, gainfully employed, they feel like they've got something to do. They've got a purpose in their life. That's the first thing. The second thing is they've got money to spend. So gainful employment means to me something, I think it'll be somewhere between five and a half and six and a half. As soon as we get to somewhere in that range and the unemployment number back to there, I think we'll start to grow steadily again. Until that time comes, I think we're going to sort of drag ourselves along the bottom a bit. So the question becomes how quickly can this government and or any government and us as employers, by the way, get our employees all back fully employed, fully gainfully employed, and get that employment number between five and a half and six and a half percent I'm talking about. Mm. That's really important. It might, ha it might happen, as you said, geographically in different places, like Canberra. That's a no-brainer. Canberra is going to be um, a, a, the lowest unemployment number in the country by far relative to every other place in Australia because mm. it's obvious that everybody works for the government. A lot of people work for the government down there. Mm. So I think it's going to happen by a section, mm. and, it's going to, and it's not going to be quick. You're on the board of the uh, the mighty roosters. Is it is it possible the innovation could be that we develop special football watching masks so we can go to the game sometime in June or July? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about that the other day in terms of American football because they got the helmets. They, I, I wonder how hard it would be for them to insert a mask in front of their helmets so they could play football. Yeah. And they all wear they all wear gloves because hmm. it's freezing cold usually in the winter. Um, I think, uh, again, you're, it's a good point. I mean, and I know there's some sort of comedy in your point but, and a bit of theatre there, but really the point is important. It's about innovation. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the sort of, um, we're lucky we were one of the most innovative coaches in the competition, Trent Robinson, um, and we will be looking to the coaches and the NRL as well, but the coaches, I think, are going to play a big role in the innovation about, about how our sport will recommence and hopefully other sports will be able to learn from that. And I, you know, like when when Todd Greenberg gets up there as the CEO of the NRL and says things like, you know, we'll be back up in May, etc., and everybody starts bagging him. Um, from my point of view, I like the initiative. I mean, I like the ambition. I mean, uh, you know, of course, it was going to say subject to medical advice, etc., but I like the ambition. We need the ambition. I don't want this COVID thing to kill ambition. I don't want this COVID thing to kill initiative. I don't want this COVID thing to kill innovation. That's what I'm really worried about. Mm. Everybody just sits back, gets fat at home, keeps going to the fridge, forgets about how to exercise properly, forgets about how to get up early in the morning and do what they've got to do, get into their work routine and work long, hard, productive hours because that's what we need as a country to be, relatively speaking, competitive in the world. They're, the rest are going to do it. Don't worry. China will be competing. They're already competing. Now, they're going to leave us for dead. That's what I'm worried about. My biggest fear is we're going to get caught napping. Mark Burris, as always, great to catch up, mate. See you, Pete. All the best, mate. Joining us now to check out what's going on in the real estate market in these crazy coronavirus times is the founder of Century 21 here in Australia and New Zealand, Charles Tarby. How, how are you going, Charles? Thank you, Peter. Gee, I love that uh, Century 21 shirt. I wouldn't, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd even be caught dead in one of those. It's, they're so cool. Oh, they're very special. They, you know, yeah, yeah you know, they, they are very, very good looking shirts. And, and, the, and the logo is really 
modern. It's like a millennial no, design. Uh, it's not, not an old bloke. We've changed with the time speed. I had no choice, you know. As you age, you change. Yeah, but but you, you never age. You've you found the the, the the secret elixir of youth. Yeah, thanks, mate. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll lose it. I'll lose it during this period. Trust me. <laughs> That's right. But. Fortunately, you're not young and you're experienced when it comes to real estate. And that's why we want to talk to you about what you're seeing at the coalface. And let's also incorporate the latest CoreLogic uh, auction yeah. clearance numbers. What are you seeing, Charles? Well, Peter, it's an interesting time. There's a lot of people panicking at the moment because there's confusion. You go right around the country and each state government has a different view. Uh, even last uh, Friday, the uh, Victorian government shut down real estate companies by saying no inspections at all mm. unless the property is vacant. And, and by Monday, they'd reverse that. Uh, you've got different laws with regards to tenants in Queensland than you have in other parts of the country. We're all a little bit confused as a national business. We're trying to deal with it uh, state by state at the moment instead of uh, from a federal perspective. Mm. The auction clearance rates, and I, I've got numbers in front of me, but I think it was like Melbourne was like 30%, but the withdrawals were unbelievably yeah. big. Sydney, I think, yeah. was 50%, but once again, withdrawals were massive. Can we make any sense out of these numbers, or are they, are they so out, much of an outlier-type result you can't interpret much out of it? Look, Peter, I think when auction uh, auctions are withdrawn, uh, from my experience, it's generally down to one main reason, and that is that there isn't sufficient enough buyer activity to warrant an auction. To, and, and I think that's when I see a real estate agent take a property off before auction, that's usually the case. Yeah. Uh, but under the circumstances we have right now, there are also a lot of people who are terrified about having people or strangers come through their property. And I think that is probably, in this instance, that is probably the biggest issue. Okay. So... Obviously, we look at house price data and you can't expect house prices to remain elevated under these circumstances. But do you think that they will be seen as rogue numbers for a, a period of time, provided mm. that we get back to more, more normal business life within, say, three or four months? Look, I'd say so, Peter. I'll, I'll tell you, you're probably too young to remember this, uh, but when Gough Whitlam was in power and uh, there was a credit squeeze on for a period of time where you couldn't borrow money to buy a refrigerator, uh, I've said to our franchise owners across the country, we're not in that position, which is a lot worse in terms of, of transactions. Uh, so we still are able to transact and people who can borrow money and there are still plenty of people who can borrow money can buy property. Uh, so I think it's just a lull and I, I know there are people out there waiting for the inevitable prices to come down. Uh, but I think we'll get through this reasonably quickly and I, I believe that uh, those people that wanted to buy and those people that wanted to sell will hit the market fairly quickly and you'll see a lot of activity in the spike in prices. So whatever we see as a lull right now, I think will reverse very quickly. Yeah, and I, I guess from your point of view, spring auctions or spring sales are very important. So if mm. the worst of the coronavirus is behind us by, say, end of July... Uh, and, and more and more businesses get back to work and more and more people are back on their normal pay by the time we hit spring, that probably will set us up for a, a pretty healthy period, you would have thought. 
I think so, and I think the the challenge is right now for those people that want to stay in business. That, uh, that obviously most of them do, but those that want to and and can, uh, but have to make uh, adjustments, uh, should do so and get ready. Uh, we're finding that the difference between uh, now and uh, what's happening right now and what was happening is that we've almost gone back to the good old days of real estate where you take a buyer out to the to a property and you actually demonstrate the property and you actually uh, you try and work and negotiate with people instead of what we've seen over the years of auctions and open for inspections and bundles of people coming through and, and real estate agents not being able to speak to most people. We're just seeing people one-on-one -on -one get back to negotiating to purchase a property. And I think that that change is not a bad change. Mm. We've also noticed that the technology platforms that we're using have allowed me particularly to speak to more principals across the country than I've ever done in a, in a week uh, we, we have a daily connect with these people. We have guest speakers on. Uh, I know you've been a guest speaker around, around the countryside for real estate practitioners. And we're starting to learn more. We're starting to understand that we can communicate with our buyers and sellers in this manner, uh, in a far more professional manner than just a phone call or a letter. So I think those that can be strong enough to get through this and survive uh, will, will come out the other end as far more professional real estate practitioners delivering a higher quality of service in a shorter space of time. Charles, do you suspect, uh, and I don't know whether you thought this one through, but knowing the way you do think about real estate pretty well 24-7 when you're not playing your guitar, you probably even think about when you're playing guitar, you probably think about real estate. Yeah. But, but the fact that the banks are permitting people to defer their loans, mm -hmm. would that make it easier for someone who thought he had to sell to actually delay the sale on the basis that, well, he can defer his loan until the market looks a lot more healthier? No, I think so. I think so. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of the deferral. I know that it might be necessary for some people, mm. but I hate to think what the bill is going to look like or the extended term of a loan is going to look like. Uh, I, I think it would, would have been wonderful, and I don't know how the banks could have done this, but I think it would have been wonderful if, if they said, look, hey, no principal reductions but just interest at the moment. And I think people would have gotten through and they'll come out the other end with, with no extra debt on their plates. Uh, but I do think in answer to your question, there'll be a lot of people sitting on the fence right now because it is a nervous time. However, transactions uh, are being concluded around the country. Now, some of our offices are incredibly busy. Strange, I know, but that's the case. And one last thing, Charles. One of the big challenges for your businesses and all real estate agencies around the country is the, de the dealing between landlords and tenants. Yeah. How is that playing out um, right now, Charles? Yeah, very poorly at the moment because the way it was announced uh, without too much detail, most most tenants thought, oh, well, okay, I don't have to pay my rent because nobody can evict me. Uh, and, and of course, that's not the case. They still have to pay their rent, but that was how it was pushed. And then they talked about landlords and tenants getting together, the majority of properties are managed by real estate agents because most landlords want to, uh, not don't want to communicate uh, to direct to their customer. They want a third party involved. And then there's the other part, uh, that, which hasn't really hit the industry yet, and a lot of people haven't thought this through, Peter. Uh, real estate agencies have a value, and most of their value is in their rent roll asset. If rents drop, if rents are forced to drop, 
which means their management fee income for real estate agents drops. That means the multiple used to value their businesses is going to drop. The value of their business is going to drop, mm. which means that their loan value ratio with many of the banks is going to reach a point that's above the conditions the bank have set. So therefore, this gives the banks the opportunity to say, well, you know what, you've breached one of your conditions of your loan. Mm. Your loan value ratio is much higher than it should be. And therefore, if the bank wants to, they can start calling up loans. And this hasn't been thought through very well at all. No. I guess you'd, you'd be hoping that the, the kind of relationship that the government has linked up with the, the banks will actually protect um, businesses in that sort of situation. But I guess, as you've been pointing out, there's still a lot of uncertainty. I've asked for um, my amortisation on any of my loans to be removed. I'm happy to pay the interest. I've had one bank agree, and that was Macquarie Bank. I'm still waiting on the other bank to come through and tell me, and I've been waiting for over a month. And I don't want to go into further debt, but I don't need to reduce my debt. And I think if the banks start working a little bit quicker with some people, uh, it sounds like they are, but I'm telling, talking to you from the other side of the fence, I haven't seen it except for what Macquarie Bank have done for me. Okay, well, I'll, I'll let you uh, finish off with a sense of optimism. Uh, in our investing show on Monday, I interviewed um, Michael Knox, chief economist from Morgan's, and he was saying all this stimulus um, on top of a successful coronavirus containment policy, you know, if, if, if in the end we get that, um, should set us up for what he calls the roaring 20s of the 21st century, mate. So if 2020 happens to be Annus Horribilis, adding bushfires to this uh, coronavirus. He reckons 2021 will be some, um, some uh, year to remember. I have to agree because, as, uh, as we always know, people sit on the fence. And if you sit on the fence for too long, Peter, you said it before, you get splinters in your bum. And, and people are going to have to get off the fence at some point in time, uh, whether they're forced to or they want to or they need to. And when they do, if that all comes together, we're in for a hell of a ride. Uh, in 2021. Charles Tarby from that wonderful company, Century 21, that produces very nice T-shirts. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you, Peter. Well, the coronavirus has created lots of challenges for the economy, but in particular, the property market is now starting to feel the pinch. If you look at the auction clearance rates over the weekend, they were unbelievably low. I think Melbourne was 30%, Sydney was about 50%. But what staggered me more than anything was the level of withdrawals from auctions. Uh, I've never seen anything like that before. And my next guest, Rob Clarick, founder of the propertyexpert.com.au website. I'm sure he hasn't seen anything like this before either. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure. Is it, is it a unique experience for you, this coronavirus affected property market? Well, it's not, I'd like to say it's, it's not in completely unique because I've actually worked two recessions and the global financial crisis. But I'd have to say that this time, this, this period of coronavirus has been probably the, the hardest because there's so much uncertainty around all business, not just the property business. Mm, yeah. And the thing is, is, you just haven't got enough reliable history to, to really make solid judgments on. But let's just go, you, you believe there's going to be like a three-tier development because of it. Explain to us what you mean by that. Look, I mean, in the last few weeks, not since the global financial crisis, has Leonie and I received so many phone calls from 
people within business, people that are in property, and asking the question, Rob, we need your help. What do we what do we do at this situation? Lots of clients still want to sell, a lot of clients still want to buy, but are frightened, so the confidence is low. Um, the last time I saw this was in um, in the late 80s, early 90s, when we had that boom bust cycle, and the, and obviously the global financial crisis as well, where now we're looking at clearance rates that have gone from, as you said, you know, they were, they were tracking at 80% plus mm. in February. All of a sudden, we've got 40% and less than 40% in the last few weeks and 50% withdrawal. So, you know, 800 auctions are listed, half of them have been pulled before the auction date. Now, the answer to the question has been, we are now got the good, the bad and the ugly in the market in property. There is three segments. It's not all bad news, but the good news is only very small. The, uh, the reality is that small section of the market, which I call the good market, is at the lower price range, you know, between that 500 through to a million in the Sydney marketplace, where all of a sudden buyers, first home buyers with the help of mum and dad are actually looking at potentially buying something because there has been that reduction, Peter. Yep. You know, the reduction probably of around 10% off the asking price to get a deal done. So we're seeing that market as probably the first time in 12 months, 18 months, two years, in terms of a buyer wanting to get into that market with choice. With the, they've actually got three or four, five, six, seven properties to look at now in that price range, whichever suburb in city they want to look at. So that section I call the, 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 the good part. And there's the good, the bad and the ugly. Now, the bad section is in the middle where we seem to be all of Australia um, in terms of middle Australia who run small businesses, who are, you know, the mum and dad investors that probably got one unit, um, you know, to their portfolio. They're being the hardest hit because rents are not being paid. All of a sudden, their loans have still got to be paid. They're not working, they're unemployed, and we're probably tracking to an unemployment level of 10% in that sort of middle range market. And that's that's pretty bad. And then the third part is the ugly. Now, this is what's going to happen. And people are saying to me, Rob, what do you see? You picked the market downturn a few years ago, and I picked it then. I've worked these markets for the last 30 years. But the ugly bit is going to be the tsunami we're going to have at the end of the year. You know, when everything sort of comes back to some sort of, there's never going to be a normality, but in six months' time, everybody will be hopefully back walking down to the beach, getting back to cafes and wanting to sell a property. But we're going to have a lot of stock hit the market. We're going to have rent rentals available everywhere in terms of a lot of new developments, what I call vertical suburbs. Um, that have been built all around Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. So there's going to be probably an oversupply, um, Peter, with that. But that's going to be, we're going to be ugly because unemployment's 10%. Finance is going to be hard to, to get a hold of at that time, you know, because no banks, the banks are saying they'll help us, but hang on, they'll help us if you can jump over every hoop to get finance approved at the moment. So, so that's what I've been saying to people. We have got a three-tier market, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've tried to simplify that in real simple language because I didn't pass the subject at school, but I'm at the front line, Pete, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the economics of the property market is something you, you can't uh, uh, not, not learn pretty easily when after 30 years. But, mate, yeah. I, I guess, so therefore, if you listen to your, the, the core of your argument, 
it's going to really depend on how quickly the economy can come back. A bad economy uh, that's going to contract at 6.7% according to the IMF, I mean, they're not always right, but we know there's going to be a contraction. And that could easily produce the unemployment rate of 10%. But if, if the turnaround is quicker and therefore you don't get the 10% unemployment, well then I guess your scenario, your, your ugly scenario won't be quite as ugly. But you're Correct. still going to get, from what I can hear from you, there's going to be an oversupply of properties because of all the people who are withdrawing properties now and if they're yeah. lucky enough to go to the bank and the bank says, well, we'll defer your loan for you know, three or six months, those people will eventually put their, their properties on the market and everyone believes spring is the best time for that. And that could mean a lot of supply. And therefore, I guess you'd argue prices will be soft. Yeah, they will be soft. And, and unfortunately, even if we come out of this, and let's say it's in three months or six months' time and we all happen to sort of come out of this hibernation and, and, and business goes back to some sort of normality. The confidence level is low, Peter. And no matter whether it was the 80s, the 90s, early 2000s, and now we're, we, you know, we're, we're 2020, if your confidence is low with people wanting to buy or sell, it, it is a real tough market for agents to put things together. And I believe that by the end of the year, We've got a couple of tsunamis coming through, and that's the unemployment. So people, if they haven't got a job, they're not going to they're not going to sell and upgrade. They're certainly not going to be uh, they're going to be cautious in their decision process about buying or selling real estate. So uh, I just feel, and I'm I'm always I'm, you know me, but I'm always very optimistic. I'm always I'm always looking at a positive in the situation, but. The reality of what we've got now is if you're in, if you're doing anything in property, you've got to proceed with caution because it is, it is um, what's around the corner, I think, doesn't look pretty. In, in actual fact, it's, it's going to be ugly. Uh, so, Rob, but for the people who are luckily well employed or have great businesses and great cash flow, as Warren Buffett has advised to us, be uh, greedy when everyone's fearful. There's obviously going to be some great buying opportunities, you know, across this year. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've always known with my own moves in what we've done, and we've moved many houses in our time, Leon and I, the reality is, is that opportunities, there's always good that comes out of markets where you, you, can, you, you can buy well, and there's opportunities that present themselves, providing you've got a steady income and you've got some security there and you're willing to take a calculated risk and think, okay, this is a good time to make that move. And that's it. And that's the good section of the market where I said it's only the smallest bit of there, mm. where, where people are entering into that market or selling a, a smaller unit wanting to get into perhaps a semi or a townhouse or, or upgrade their location. That gap at the moment is probably the closest that I've seen it in the last two years because that middle market of one and a half to two billion dollars has come back. Um, all of a sudden, that that lower end of the market has remained fairly stable because there's always more. The smaller fish, there's always plenty of them. The bigger fish, always more difficult to to find. And and that's probably that ana analogy will probably suit that perfectly. So that that gap it has certainly closed in the last couple of months because of what's been going on. Rob Claret, thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure, Peter, always, and look forward to being um, on the show again, no doubt, shortly, with an update as to whether it's ugly or it's not. For sure. That's Rob Clark from the thepropertyexpert.com.au website.